Joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. I was, uh, the last time I walked on the trail, I couldn't even say what day it was. It was a little cool, especially when we got around the lake. It was it was really cold because there was a wind, and there was a lot of ice. And there was a guy ahead of me, and he was wearing a stocking cap pulled down over his ears. And he was meandering, so as I walked past <laughs> him, he was singing at the top Aww. of his lungs. And I don't know if he had... <laughs> earbuds or something that he was singing along with or if he was just singing and uh, you know he uh, there are times when you might move away from somebody like that saying well what's with that guy but uh, it was a cold uh, I wouldn't say miserable day but the the miserable index was pretty high and it was it was pretty cool I wanted to turn around and say hey that's that's really give him the thumbs up but he was so busy singing, he wouldn't, I'm sure he wouldn't even known I was doing anything. So it was, and I couldn't even, I didn't recognize the song at all. So it was, but the, it apparently was making him happy and uh, making him put one foot in front of the other one. So anything that does that's a, a great thing. Well, you know, happy. they they always used to say, whistle while you work. Now, what was that? They goes, whistle while you work. Who yep. sang that? Was that the Chipmunks? I can't recall now, but I remember that song growing up, and I remember thinking, well, that's what you're supposed to do. When you work, you whistle. And, of course, on the farm you could, and the radio, maybe not so much. But who? do you remember who did that or where that came from? I don't know. Is that from Song of the South? I'm not real sure. For some reason I want to say that, so that probably means it's wrong. But whistle while you work. I don't know. I'm very familiar with it. And uh, Oh, Snow I White and the Seven Dwarfs. That's there what it is. you go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I knew I would. Is so far off, but well. yet close because it was an animated thing. I used to be a chronic whistler, and not so much anymore. I had one of those, I don't know, surgeries where they cut something out Aww. on your, and it kind of impacted my whistler, so I can still whistle a little bit, but not, it's just not like it used to be, so I... Happy Tuesday, everyone. The other day, I shouldn't have been surprised when a fox squirrel fell from the roof of the house onto a window feeder held in place by suction cups. It's happened before, and the result was, as would be expected, the squirrel and the feeder both crashed to the ground, creating a blizzard of fleeing songbirds. And why I shouldn't have been surprised was that the weather forecast had called for strong winds, rising temperatures, and falling squirrels. So listen to those (laughs) weather uh, reports. They're always right. I was over, uh, oh, around Mankato and Owatonna and places, and I saw so many red-tailed hawks as I drove about the region. And this hawk has a football shape when perched. So if you're driving along and it looks like sort of a a football-shaped bird there. It's probably a red-tailed hawk. I stopped in a small city and watched house sparrows eating street food. And I mean, it was street food. It was food on an actual street. And uh, your doctor might not approve of that (laughs) diet for you. But uh, crows and jays here in the yard, they demonstrate bird identification skills as evidenced by their mobbing of a great horned owl in the yard. I put peanuts in the shell into a bird feeder, and like a great magic act, the peanuts disappeared and were replaced by blue jays. I I think we might have talked about this before, Karen, but my favorite conspiracy theory, we, we all have to have a, a favorite uh, conspiracy theory in today's world, and mine is, well, this is from their official site. The It says, uh, quote, 
the birds aren't real movement exists to spread awareness that the U.S. government genocided. I don't know if it's genocided even a word, but anyway, genocided over 12 billion birds from 1959 to 2001 and replaced these birds with surveillance drone replicas we still watch us every day once a preventative cause our initial goal was to stop the forced extinction of real birds unfortunately this was unsuccessful and the government has since replaced every living bird with robotic replicas hmm. now our movement's prerogative is to make everyone aware of this fact uh, the creator is joking it's just an <laughs> interesting website uh, Diane Hansen uh, let my wife know that she saw a woolly bear caterpillar on the Blazing Star Trail in Elberly on one of the warm days. It was alive? And yeah. They, Can they live yeah, in this oh, cold? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They will get out. I don't know what happens if the place they initially found to spend the winter was disturbed or it just turned out maybe it wasn't as warm as they thought it was so they get up and they hike somewhere to find a better place hmm. and that's what i hope they find is a better place also my wife melissa bell uh, contacted my wife and in kaplan woods in Oatana found a dead hawk and sent some photos and i looked at them it looked like a young red-tailed hawk from the from the photos the albert lee Christmas bird count. Uh, we had 38 species. We had 32 last year. Oh, a trumpeter swan, Eurasian collared doves, mourning doves, a pair of American white pelicans, northern harrier, sharp shin hawk, rough legged hawk, great horned owl, red breasted nuthatch, tufted titmouse, pine siskin, white throated sparrow, Harris's sparrow, and one. One common red pole. Red poles always come in numbers. My yard right now is filled with common red poles. Hmm. They're cute little birds the size of a goldfinch maybe. They have a little red cap, and then it looks like they have a little black beard, and some of them will have quite a bit of red on the breast. They're just beautiful. But we had one. Uh, Kim Williams of Heartland also contacted my wife. Everybody has learned that it's much nicer to contact my <laughs> wife than me. It's just, it's, it just makes life easier. A uh, photo of a rough-legged hawk, uh, Jerry Victora, who contacted me. Because, uh, he, he's from Allendale, and we've been friends for a long time. He took some photos. He has five pairs of cardinals at his feeders, so ten cardinals. Just, it's really cool. Uh, Doug, Doug Har said, with about 15 juncos at our feeders after the heavy snow, one of the neighborhood's resident Cooper's hawk grabbed and ate one for breakfast. Usually the coops get a starling or house sparrow in our yard because we always have a lot of those, but today there have been no sparrows or starlings, so the junco flock took a loss. Uh, Don Grusing, a brown creeper, one of my favorite winter birds, died alongside the walk that runs from the driveway to the front door of my home. It did not appear to have <clears throat> have been attacked or killed by a predator. Just there, very visible on top of the snow. I delight in seeing this obscure species every day at my suet feeder on the trunk of an oak tree. They also go onto the ground to pick up the tiniest bits that fall from the aggressive pecking of the other suet feeders. I uh, was teaching school at, oh gosh, where was I? I, I, I want to say Gustavus, and there was a cat outside. Had, well, it had a bell on it and a, a regular collar, and it killed a, uh, 
uh, brown creeper while my class watched. So that was kind of a sad thing. Mm. And we were able to uh, get the number off and call the owner and left a message for them. So I hope they came and picked up their cat. But it had a bell on it, which makes no difference to birds. Uh, you could, unless you put one the size of like an anvil on them, so the cat couldn't move at all. The a bell really doesn't. I, you know, can the birds hear back. them, or just doesn't startle them? Perhaps they, they hear it, but it means nothing to oh, them. Oh, okay. You know, when they hear it, they say, "Oh, a bell. That must be a cat." It's just, it's just a sound <laughs> that has little meaning to them, and. And uh, usually it doesn't slow the cat down much because people will put a small bell on there that yeah. maybe makes a lot of sound, but they don't want to restrict their cat either because they love their cat, and I understand that. Maybe they do it so they can find their cat. <laughs> yeah, that might be, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mary, and we always heard, you know, to bell the cat when I was a kid. You heard that. It was just a part of uh, modern folklore, I guess. Uh, Mary Hillman, a wonderful lady, Mary Hillman, said in Northfield, she sent me a photo of a great horned owl perched right up on top of a tree. And I'm guessing that it had been rousted. She'd been hearing hooting sounds, and I'm guessing it had been uh, rousted by, uh, oh, you know, crows or blue jays or something had bothered it, so it was up on the top of the tree. And they hoot, uh, you hear them hooting a lot. A male will be smaller, but his hoot is a little bit lower. And they hoot, who's awake? Me too. Uh, Tom Belshin, a friend from Glenville, said, I had a mature rooster pheasant at my feeder yesterday. I never thought I would be at the point where I would be thrilled to see a pheasant. Yeah, they just, uh, a lot of people aren't seeing many of them. Uh, Denny, Denny Martin, uh, a friend of long standing, does he? I believe it's the Excelsior Christmas bird count, and he said this year they had one pheasant on their count. Uh, he's done it for 30-some years, and he said it's just gone downhill the whole time, the number of pheasants. Uh, Carol Lang of Albert Lee sent me a photo of a tufted titmouse in her yard. A uh, listener says, Al, I am seeing flies in my house in the winter. Why and what are they? Uh, I give you, I give you two choices. It's always good to have choices in life. They could be cluster flies. Oh, there's Sometimes. a song that that uh, fish P H I S H does at the farmhouse, and they the song starts out about cluster flies. So I always wondered what those were. So yes, let's tell us about that, and I'll find that song. Old uh, farmhouses are ideal for cluster flies. Some people call them attic flies because you find them up in the attics. Uh, the fly is large and I'd say sluggish. They're just slow moving. And if you can look at them closely, they have golden hairs on the thorax. And their larvae feed on earthworms. And then they sneak into your home in the fall. They congregate in the walls. And then they, on a nice warm, maybe sunny day, they like southern exposures. They find openings in window frames, and then they just magically appear. And you'll find them in the windows. They don't really harm anything when they're there except give you that kind of ew. They have an ew factor because <laughs> who wants to uh, hundred flies yeah. buzzing around in one window? It's just, and uh, I used to, my upstairs bedroom, I didn't get many of them, but one of the other folks' bedrooms that was upstairs faced the right direction and would, they would get them just terrible in there. 
the other one that is even, I think, even more of a ew, and the other possibility is a blowfly, which resembles a housefly, but it may be shiny green, blue, bronze, or black. They're metallic-colored flies. Uh, are those and the ones that can lay eggs in you, and you can get those, like, larvae in you? the cows? I remember you, Dad used to have to pop the, them out of the hide. Is that the blowfly? Nope. Oh, these okay. Guys are, these guys are called blow or bottle flies okay. is another one. And I think they're called bottle flies because the one you're thinking of are called bot flies. So oh, they're okay. almost a bottle. They're just like part of a bottle <laughs> <Okay>. fly. <laughs> um, these are blow or bottle flies. And they gather around windows and they produce a, a real loud buzzing sound. And these guys lay eggs in decomposing organic matter, like garbage, animal manure, decaying vegetables, dead animals, and grass clippings. And often, I think, people will set um, mouse traps, and maybe we'll forget about them, and then all of a sudden one day you go, oh, man, I smell that. Well, that's a place where these guys could lay their eggs. Outside, you will find them in... um, Oh, compost piles sometimes. You'll find them in there. And uh, I guess they aren't really hurting us much either, but they're just, you know, they come from from garbage, animal manure, and dead animals. So they just, we're not real happy to see them because it means other things are going on. But no house is perfect, as we all know. Everywhere I go... A kind listener from, oh, I don't know where she's from, but says, everywhere I go, I see downy woodpeckers. Are they in every state? Well, first, I hope you're not seeing them everywhere you go. That would be kind of (laughs) creepy. And, boy, just imagine you in the dentist's office, and all of a sudden you see downy woodpeckers. It just wouldn't be good. But they are in every state but one. And whenever we hear that, there's two states that come to mind. One, well, it's got to be Alaska or Hawaii, and it's Hawaii. And you also won't find them in the deserts of the southwest of this country, but they're still in every state except Hawaii. And when you watch them in your yard, the males have a little red on the cap. Males will feed more on the small branches and weed stems. So if you have goldenrod that has the galls, They'll be out there picking a hole to get the larvae out of that. The females, they tend to feed on larger branches and trunks of the tree. And I I don't, I think the small branches and the weed stems maybe are better feeding in the wintertime. And the males being the dominant bird probably keep the females from doing that. The cads. Uh, What eats Milo? We've talked about this a few times, and it's Milo or sorghum. It's one that looks like BBs that you get in the, uh, or large radish seeds maybe, that you get them in your mix, seed mixes. They are not, uh, underline that and circle it, are not a favorite food of birds. Wild turkeys, pheasants, pigeons, Eurasian collared doves, uh, cowbirds, and cows may feed on it. I think uh, grackles might eat some, and I'm told that western quail species will. So if you get out west, you might find something. But uh, I think I can say this without any 
problem. Milo is a waste of money as food for wild birds. They just, it's not their favorite, and there's a few of them that'll eat it, I guess, if there's nothing else, but they just don't like it. Uh, Milo is cheap, so it's used as a filler. I didn't see many cardinals when I was a child. Now I see them. Why did they move north? Well, because that's where you were. They like to, why do birds suddenly appear whenever you are near? Uh, Their breeding range has expanded northward for several reasons. A warmer climate has led to the reduction in snow depth. And just think about it, when you were a kid, the snow was up to my neck, and now it's, you know, it's not up to my knee hardly at all. I don't know if it's because I got bigger or just more snow, but (laughs) the snow, it, it leaves more. It seems like when I was a kid, we get the snow. And then we'd move it, push it over here, shovel it over here, and then the wind would blow it back into the drive. So then we'd have to push it and move it over the other. And we just, we kept moving the same snow. And we were always so happy when we got a January thaw so we could get rid of some of that snow. And it would kind of season the snow and make it a little bit harder, but it didn't blow around. So a a warmer climate... has led to a reduction in the in the snow depth and that allows greater winter foraging opportunities for cardinals you can feed on the ground a little bit more suburban growth has increased suitable edge habitat and they like edge habitat the treed edge of lawns and golf courses and backyard <clears throat> backyard bird feeders and we provide food for them, so they got a place to go. I hear stories that they came north on uh, railroad tracks, that um, the railroad tracks were the snow was removed and it allowed uh, movement north. I don't know if any studies of anything have been done on that. Uh, it probably helped a little bit, but I think the other ones are the main reasons. Why are juncos called snowbirds? You know, they're they're characteristic of our winter months. When we have snow, we have juncos. And they probably get the moniker because they appear not long before the snow. It's as if they bring the snow with them or they come early to get things ready for the snow. The juncos become more visible against a blanket of snow, so maybe people didn't see them much even when they were down here early. But all of a sudden you have that snow, and here's those little gray birds all over on it. So they're snowbirds. Uh, Both juncos and winter could be described as having leaden skies above and being snowy white below. So a number of reasons. I love seeing juncos. They're such cute little birds. But, you know, that's a tough name to have, snowbirds. And they're they is don't it, go to Florida or Texas. Is that so what Ann Murray was singing about when she sings the snowbird song, I wonder, was Junkos? I, it, it could be, but I think it was probably snow buntings. Oh, okay, that, maybe. Because she was from, I don't know where in Canada, but she was from Canada. So it, it certainly could be both. I read something that uh, Ann Murray, if she knows, she's not talking. Oh, so I, <laughs> You probably want to keep those things. Uh, you want to keep keep people wondering about it. I would think <laughs> if you're uh, you have a I song suppose. out and oh so popular and it's a beautiful song. I I like that and maybe that's what the guy on the trail was singing. No, I don't think no, so. No. <laughs>
What's the difference between a dove and a pigeon? There's no difference between a pigeon and a dove in scientific nomenclature. So uh, the the common pigeon that we think of as a barn pigeon, city pigeon, park pigeon, it was a rock dove and now it's a rock pigeon. It's the same name really, but in colloquial English it categorizes them by size. So doves are typically smaller and for for no reason. So it could, it's, there's no difference if you think about pigeon and dove other than just in the name of the bird. Oh, how just got this uh, talking about the great horned owl that was in Northfield. How strong is a great horned owl? And I'm guessing the question is referring to its its feet and talons. I know the Cornell Lab said that the owl's strong, clenched talons require a force of 28 pounds to open. So that's 28 pounds per square inch. I've also read that the grip strength in those feet is 200 to 500 pounds per square inch and up to six times stronger than the handshake of a bodybuilder. But I don't know where those numbers come from. I couldn't find any research or anything that came up with those, so sorry for, I shouldn't have mentioned them. But if you want to know how many pounds per square inch your grip is, get your favorite bathroom scale. Hold it between your hands, it's face towards you, and with your hands on the side of the scale, just squeeze as hard as you can. Like, and pretend you're Arnold Schwarzenegger doing a deadlift. And there, now it comes math. So you got that number, and then they divide that number by the square inches of the palm of your hand, and it will oh. give you your grip strength. And you will be amazed... Uh, how yours compares to the great horned owl because his again it requires a force of 28 pounds to open I'm and it, in this time where some were starting to you know people shake hands a little bit now uh, don't shake hands with a great horned owl i guess is what we learn here <laughs> i'm still trying to, to think about how i'm going to measure my palm it's you know it's kind of weird shaped you know how that it's just odd yeah you have math people at the at the university college there, yeah you know, yeah just, we'll have to yeah. maybe ask them <laughs> and they will uh, make that a, a class uh, research, and they will find out what it is. So maybe try that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I remember doing that oh a hundred years ago, and I can't remember what mine was, but I'm sure it's less than that now. But uh, we had some. I can't remember if it was in school or it might have been at a birding thing, where we were all comparing. It was, I think, comparing it to a harpy eagle, if I remember right. And it was down somewhere in Iowa, and just seeing how we did. And you know, we didn't. None of us needed to be messing with a harpy eagle because it would have kicked our butt if we went by grip strength. Is it a good idea to trap squirrels and haul them elsewhere? Oh, you know, not without asking permission of the owner of the land where you're depositing the bushy tails. So if you're hauling them out to somebody's place, they might not want more squirrels. They might say, well, I like squirrels, but I have, uh, I just have an ample sufficiency of squirrels. I don't need any more. Relocating squirrels, you might ask the squirrels, do you want to go? Do you want, really want to move somewhere else? Relocating squirrels creates an opening for other squirrels to fill, and they're always looking for a good territory to move into. Uh, 
So if your place, if you have an overabundance of squirrels, you have a wonderful territory as far as squirrels. Um, a squirrel realtor, location, 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 they're going to bring them to your place when there's an opening. So it might be easier to deal with the squirrels you know than to have to negotiate bird feeder battles with new squirrels, with new notions and new clever tricks. It's uh, better to work with the devil you know, is an old saying. So you might might be better off just keeping the squirrels you have instead of trading them in for, for new, maybe younger, more mischievous squirrels. When do coyotes and red foxes breed? Coyotes mate at the, around two years old, and they may pair for life. The mating season begins in January, so we're in that now, last through February. Five to seven pups are born in April, generally. And when they're eight to 12 weeks old, the female teaches them to hunt. And you can ask my wife about the noise they make when they first go out on the hunt, because we get visited by them here, and they go by on the edge of the woods. It is a yapathon. So they're excited to be out there learning and to be growing up or growing up. From autumn until midwinter, the pups will be leaving the den and searching for their own territories. Red foxes mate probably when they're a year old. So coyotes at two, red foxes at one. Uh, foxes mate in February. Uh, 52 days later, five to ten young are born. The kits, cubs, or pups, whatever you want to call them, nurse for ten weeks. They're independent at seven months. Breeding, uh, uh, the litter size averages about four. And the young stay with their mother until fall. Uh, red foxes and gray foxes do not uh, do not hybridize. So uh, foxes can be a lot of different colors, so sometimes it may look like it's a hybrid, but it, it's not because they're, they're not that similar, really. The, and, again, the uh, red foxes are the ones we see out in the fields and the prairies and stuff, our most common one here. The gray foxes are more in the woodlands, and they are very much capable of climbing trees. Say, so, Al, I got a, a text here for you. Uh, from okay. our good friend John in New Ulm. He says, I hope you got my postcard with my fab joke I made for today. Well, I did not get it yet, but, you know, it, because it was a holiday weekend, the mail's probably not running, so hopefully I'll get it soon. And he says, I bet Al knows this. He always oh, has to say that. Yeah. Why did the cow yell at the farmer? Uh, his hands were cold. I don't know. It was moody. And oh, <laughs> he said, live nice. from Sauerkraut City. John. Sauerkraut. Oh, sauerkraut. <laughs> you know, get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like sauerkraut. Too. Moody. That's it. Moody. I get moody. it. Moody. And some of them were moody. I just, I spent a lot of time in the company of cows. Well, I had this one. Her name was Bo, B-E-A-U. And I got her, bought her as a purebred as one of my show cattle. And I think there was something wrong with her. You Maybe her inner brain. And I don't, I'm not saying that to be mean or anything, but she would literally attack me even as a younger calf. Oh. I'd get in the pen, you know, to put the halter on and she would come and she would just ram me up in, you know, I'd be walking in, ram me in the stomach up against the bars. And when she became a cow, you know, and was over 1,500 pounds, 
when we'd go out in the barnyard, I would literally take a lead pipe because she scared the heck out of me. She would come after you and, and bunch you right into the fence. And so I would, oh. you know, so anyway, there was something, I, I swear, because most cows are docile and you can tame them, but bull, they're just, she just was not one of them. Usually the ones that behaved the poorest were the best milkers, too, so you had to keep them <laughs> because right. they were such good milkers. And uh, bossy was a good word sometimes with some of the cows, and there was always a head cow in the herd that just, uh, she was in charge of things. So. Did, did I ever tell you for my, when I went to UW-River Falls for two years, I did an honors project It was the Social Order of Cows, and so for my research, I sat on the bunk feeder outside in the in the barnyard because in the winter when I was on winter break, we let the cows out and it was fenced in area with the bunk feeder. So they get some exercise. And I, I knew them all by name because, well, we had 86 cows and you, you knew them. And I would sure. sit out there and take notes on who was the the head cow and you could always tell they'd be the one at the bunk feeder first and you could always tell yep. even if they they move their head to the side other cows would automatically move away they just had these subtle social cues which i thought yep. was just hilarious so it was awesome because i went out there and did my research sat in front of the on top of the bunk feeder and warm warm clothes because it was winter <laughs> break and did an entire research paper on the social pecking order of cows because you know bees uh. bees have a social order but cows do too as i now know very much so. Chickens, everything does. Yeah. You know, it, thanks, everyone, for sitting on the front porch with us. The January temperatures moving into the 40s. You know, it, it did that a little bit earlier this month, so I got an oil change, and I was given a card for a free car wash, and it's hard to pass up a free car wash on a day that warm that's conducive to such an undertaking. So I washed the car, getting some of the dirt off that had been on there since the Bush administration, the first Bush administration. <laughs> and the car wash was, oh, what a busy place, because everybody had the same idea. The line of cars was long. It snaked all around the building, out in almost in the way of the gas pumps on the other side. And there was a giant SUV ahead of me that was slow and moving up in the line, making room for people on the tail end. I think the driver fell asleep. The land yacht had a bumper sticker reading, I may be slow, but I'm ahead of you. She needed a honk if I'm sleeping sticker. I used to write supposed witticisms for Paul Harvey's radio show. I wrote a lot of bumper stickers like, I think, therefore, I didn't vote for whoever you voted for. <laughs> Wall drug was once the most common sticker I'd see. Now that has changed to stickers like these, Jesus would use his turn signal, I hate bumper stickers, proud parent of an average student, don't touch me, I'm not that kind of a car. And I may be slow, but I'm ahead of you. Remember, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Uh, thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen. And as always, I enjoyed your company. Thank you, Al. We'll chat with you next week. And I'm going to play that song called Farmhouse by Fish about those cluster flies we chatted about. Okay? I'll be listening. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye, Al. Bye-bye. Welcome, this is a farmhouse. We have
fireflies Never ever saw the stars so bright In the farmhouse things will be alright I never ever saw the northern lights I never really heard of cluster flies Never ever saw the stars so bright So 